Well, this morning we are beginning a, uh, well, this is the first Sunday of Lent. So we have actually begun the season of Lent that began on Ash Wednesday. But what does that mean? Where are we going? What are we called to do during this time? Well, part of that answer lies in a lesson from the ancient Israelites. So this morning we are in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. Hear these words now. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, and you have conquered and settled there, put some of the first produce of each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, with this gift I acknowledge that the Lord your God and that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must then say in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and mighty nation. When the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of the land, out of Egypt, with the strong hand and powerful arm, with overwhelming terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O oh Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place the produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Afterward, you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given you in your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in the celebration. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we are grateful for the lessons of the Old and the New Testaments. So Lord, we invite you to minister to us today to ponder this portion of your word today. What can we learn from it? What do you want us to hear? May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts, may they be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned a minute ago, um, the season of Lent has begun. If you were here on Ash Wednesday, we had a beautiful service with our friends from Pilgrim Hill. And, um, you know, what I heard from them is they were as blessed from worshiping with us as I hope that we were from worshiping with them. But, you know, Lent is an is a interesting time. It's a time of the year that may seem a little confusing because it's this time that we are figuratively or literally, if you like, going into the woods this time of year at the very edge of the wilderness. 
Lent is a journey. And it's a journey full of trials. It's a journey full of self-denial. And it's a journey full of reflection. And whether you've, you've chosen to, to fast from a practice during Lent, or if you've chosen to take something on during the Lenten season, which either, either or both is perfectly acceptable, whatever you feel led to do, you're going to find, if you haven't found already, that these things are very much true. Let's say, for example, you've resolved during Lent to read, your, read your, a chapter of the Bible at a specific time of the day inevitably, you're going to get a phone call, you're going to have somebody knock on the door, you're going to have a reminder of, of an errand that you needed to run and feel like you got to do it right now, otherwise it's not going to get done. Y'all know how it is. But Lent is a time where we're called to confront those things and to challenge those things. The destination, of course... It's the promised land. The promised land was a literal thing for the, for the ancient Israelites as we read here in Deuteronomy and in other parts of the, of the Old Testament. But for the Christian, the promised land is Easter. The promised land is salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. That is what our ultimate destination is. So yes, the Lenten journey is a, is a rough thing. It's a difficult time to go through. And if for no other reason, it's all of those trials and temptations that come our way. But let me tell you, friend, if you have not figured this out already, the destination is worth it. The destination, of course, for us, is eternal life. But you know, the spiritual journey of Lent that we're on together, and I emphasize that, we are on this journey together. In a lot of ways, it's not unlike the journey that the ancient Israelites were undertaking that we, that we read about here in, um, in Deuteronomy today. Because the ancient Hebrews were looking for something greater. They were in search of something that had been promised to them long ago. Something promised to their ancestors like Abraham and Jacob and all the, all the other patriarchs that came before them. And even the matriarchs were recipients of this promise. Don't ever forget that the ladies were part of it too. We, we talk about Abraham and all of them, but don't forget everyone benefited from this promise. And here we read in Deuteronomy that they have found their way to the promised land, or their ancestors rather had found their way to the promised land, and therefore they are there too. But they have been in search of that on their way to finding that place. And you might go, why did God promise them this? Why did God promise them this land? Or even in our own context today, why did God promise us eternal life? Why did God promise us an eternity with him? Well, the answer for them is the same as it is for us. It's out of God's abundant love. It's because he loved them so much and loves us so much that he made these promises of salvation to us and to them. And also our journeys are similar in that along the way there's a lot of landmines that we can step on. There's a lot of trials and a lot of troubles and a lot of even dangerous things. Again, kind of like those figurative landmines that we can encounter on the way. Again, those phone calls or knocks on the door or remembrances of errands that we didn't do that we got to do right now, otherwise the world's going to end. It's going to happen. 
but also our journeys are similar, and that the promised land on the other side of the wilderness, it's worth the journey. But here's the thing, and whether we're talking about Lent, whether we're talking about the Hebrews' journey through the wilderness, is that we have got to go through the wilderness in order to get, through, get to the promised land. You know, we can't just fly there. We can't book a plane ticket and just get there. We can't take a, take a time machine and, and travel into the future. We can't get there by magic or osmosis or any, anything else like that. The only way to get there is to go through the wilderness. For the ancient Israelites, that was true because they had to go through the, the literal wilderness to get to the promised land. And for us, we're going through the wilderness of Lent. And there's another component to this that I don't think is really remembered enough. And that's really what a lot of uh, the reading for Deuteronomy is about is that when we get to the promised land, when we get to Easter, we're called to also remember. And I underline asterisks, bold, italics, and cap letters, and whatever. I, that word, remember. Because we're called to remember where we came from. In our sense, we're called to remember where we spiritually came from kind of like the Israelites here, are being called to remember that literal place where they came from. And there's a lot of themes that we see going along with Lent during the, the reading that we had from Deuteronomy today. These words kind of jump out like wilderness and journey and difficulty and sacrifice and memory. Memory is what I really want to concentrate on for the next few minutes. Because there's a mandate there that God is giving them. Now, you might have heard me start with this reading, or if you read it before I got up and started talking, you might have think that I was going to talk about tithing today. Because it talks about giving some, a portion of the first fruits of your, of your harvest. Well, I'm not going to talk much about tithing other than to say, don't forget to tithe. There, I talked about tithing. Y'all can't say the preacher hadn't talked about money. But the biggest thing that God is telling them and what we can get out of it is the mandate to remember. They remember that an ancestor of theirs, a wandering Aramean, they remember that that's where for a large portion of their history their story began. That's how they wound up in the wilderness. That's how they were able to get to the land that they are inhabiting at this time because the people that, are the that were the original recipients of, this, of these messages from Deuteronomy, they are generations removed from that journey. They are generations removed from their great-grandparents and grandparents and so on who made the journey to the promised land, who wandered the wilderness for 40 years. Could you imagine taking 40 years to get from one place to another? How many, gener even a generation or so that came and went during that time? Some never being able to lay eyes on the promised land. But they kept going. And they are called to remember that when they harvest, they are to come to the temple with their arms laden 
with the first fruits from their harvest, to give as an offering of remembrance to God. In doing so, they remember where they came from. This is as much a tribute to God as it is a reminder to them of where they've been versus where they're going and where they are. It helps to ground them. It helps them to stay centered. It helps them to remember who they are, who their ancestors are, and most importantly, it helps them to remember whose they are. It helps them to remember that they ultimately belong to God. They are called to ultimately remember that because of generations before them of nomadic people who were not able to put down roots, they and their parents and others have been able to put down roots in a place. A place full of prosperity instead of scorn. A place full of freedom instead of slavery. You know, when I think of the, of the, of the tale of the exodus of them leaving the bonds of slavery in Egypt, I always think of the Cecil B. DeMille movie of the Ten Commandments. Now, as great of a movie as that is, I think we have to acknowledge that Cecil B. DeMille used a lot of creative license in that movie, but it's still a wonderful movie. And I'm sure the, I have no doubt that the images that we see are likely very much like what they had to endure when they were slaves. The scenes of, of trampling the, the straw and the mud so they can make mortar to make bricks. Having to go through that. Working in the hot sun for hours and hours on end. Doing the hard labor that the Egyptians had them to do every day, generation after generation. And all for the privilege of remaining alive so that they can be slaves to the Egyptians. That was their quote-unquote reward. But God is telling them to remember that I delivered you from all of that. And this is your way of never forgetting. By remembering to bring these items to the temple, it is your way of remembering that I saved you. I got you out of that. Because if it hadn't have been for me leading your ancestors out of there, that would have been your fate too. So it's a way for them to remember and to recall the woven tapestry of their past. And it also calls for present action. An act of remembrance often calls for some present action, and that's exactly what they were being called to do. But it doesn't end there. You know, God could have ordained for that scripture to end right there and say, well, you're just going to bring me the first fruits of your, of your harvest as a way of remembering that I'm the one that got you out of there. No, it didn't end there. And you keep reading through the end of our, our reading this morning. And how does it end? It ends with celebration. It ends with a party. Yeah, you're supposed to bring this stuff to the temple, but afterward, I want you to throw a party. How cool is it that God is saying, I want you to have a party? I think that's a beautiful thing. Because God wants them to celebrate their freedom. God wants them to celebrate the fact that they are free from that. And God wants them also to include everyone. You read in there that God made sure to say that when you have this party, I also want you to let the Levites come and I want you to let the foreigners who are living among you come. 
Foreigners who are not part of your, of your tribe. Foreigners who are not part of your, even your religion. This is open to everybody. I want you to have a party and invite everybody. Because I want them to be able to see what God, what I, he's saying, what I have done for you. And God is saying that, yes, you went through this. Your ancestors went through this, but, you were also, but I was with you every step of the way. And I want you to celebrate that. I want, it's God saying, I want you to remember this reward that you have received. And what's saying to us is that the reward that awaits us is Jesus Christ. Going through Lent, the award that waits, the reward rather that, wait, that awaits us is that Easter morn. And also the ultimate Easter when Christ reigns forever. Folks, that is our promised land. God is going to deliver on that. But in order to get there, we have to go on the journey. Underscore, we have to go. Because like the Israelites, we're called to remember. And that's a lot of what the function of this season of Lent is about. It invites us to remember who we are and whose we are. It invites us to reflect and be reconciled to God. To practice these spiritual disciplines as a way of reconnecting with the important things of our faith. That we belong to God and there's nothing we can do about it. And thanks be for that. And again, what awaits us is Easter. But we still have to go through the wilderness in order to reach that promised land. Here's a question that I do want us to ponder this morning, though, church. Is how many of us are standing at the edge of the wilderness and are afraid to take the first step? How many others who are not among us, who are in our midst, though, living in our midst, how many of them are standing at the wilderness, unsure of what's in there or what awaits them at the other end? Or how many of them are in the wilderness and have no clue where they're going, have no clue what's at the end, and have no idea that they have a guide in the form of God to get them to the other side? How many people like that are there? You know, I went to a workshop yesterday on um, dinner church, something that I hope to talk to, you, talk to some of you more about later on. But I was at this workshop, and it got me to thinking about how many people wouldn't normally step foot into a church for one reason or another. Because dinner church is a, is a form of doing church in a way that is anything but traditional. There was a discussion that came up. The, the presenter of this workshop was from Seattle. I don't know that he had ever actually been to Mississippi before. I, I'm not sure. but um, He said, I'm going to give you some statistics that may or may not apply to you all because you're in the Bible Belt, but this is speaking nationally. And another pastor in the room raised his hand and said, Sir, can I interject something? And he said, Well, yeah, sure. And the pastor said, You know, the term Bible Belt is kind of a misnomer. He said, this is the preacher belt. And the man who was leading the workshop, his name was Verlin. Verlin said, 
what do you mean? And this pastor said, well, basically what this means is that some people want to come to church and hear the preacher, but not actually engage with what's in the Bible. They don't live changed lives. They're not actually committed. They're just here because they were made to come. Well, I don't want any of us to not be, or I don't want any of us rather to be guilty of not living out the teachings of the Bible. I want us to really engage Scripture. And one of those ways I want us to engage Scripture is, again, to remember whose we are and who we are. And one of the things that we are called to do, as our reading tells us today, is to invite the Levites, invite the foreigners, and include them in our celebration. I have a Lenten challenge for you all. Some of y'all are already going, oh goodness, this preacher's gone to meddling now. But no, seriously, I have a challenge for you all, and this is something I felt God leading me to put this on you all. And I hope that you will all, from the oldest to the youngest and even those who aren't here, let them know when you see them and talk to them about this, because they need to be in on it too. Here's the challenge. There's 40 days in Lent, right? Roughly. Not counting Sundays, there's 40 days in Lent leading up to Easter. I want each and every one of us, and I include myself, to invite 40 people to come to worship. Each one of us invite 40 people to come to worship. Now that sounds like a lofty goal, and maybe you're going, I don't even know 40 people. Well, first of all, yes, you do. I promise. Second of all, you probably know at least 40 people who are not connected with a church in any way. So that's the challenge. Invite 40 people to come to worship. I have a goal for us that by Easter, we have 40 more people in worship than we do today. I know that sounds like a lofty goal. And you're going, Brother Jonathan, I can't do this. Well, you know what? You're right. By your own power, you can't do that. Neither can I. But with God's help and God's power, yes, you can. And with God's help and God's empowerment, we can get 40 more people in here by Easter. You think we can do it? I know we can. But that's ultimately up to you. Are you going to go? Are you going to take me up on this challenge? Or more importantly, are you going to take God up on this challenge? Because I didn't come up with this. Let's all endeavor, each one of us, to invite 40 people to worship. Here's a statistic. Over 80% of people, and there have been multiple studies that back this up, over 80% of people who began attending a church did so because someone who they know invited them. It wasn't because of an advertisement. It wasn't because the preacher invited them. It was because one of you invited them. How many of you started attending this church because someone invited you? Several of you, I'd wager. Remember that. 
Remember whose you are and who you are. And invite others to the celebration. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.